Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, episode 31, A Few Good Physios. Today we are uh, joined by two really cool guys who we know, we've known them for a while. They are the co-owners of Catalyst Sport here in Manhattan, Jason Kapnick and Joe Buffy. Thanks for coming, guys. Welcome, guys. Thank you. So we've known uh, both these guys for a little while. Um, I myself, I, I, I think I've known them since 2014 during my SFG level one here in New York, and then I started um, doing some uh, work at Catalyst. I, I trained some clients there. Um, and how long I was you? Uh, Probably Same? not too long after. I, I, was, uh, I was taking small group classes when I was considering SFG, mm-hmm. and you guys uh, was instrumental in uh, helping me and actually helping a lot of my patients pass along uh, your methodologies. But thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so if you guys want to give a quick little background on uh, Catalyst in general and what you guys do, and um, we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So Catalyst has kind of two sides to our house. Um, we have a, a clinic, and it includes chiropractic and physical therapy and, and massage, and our clinic's headed up by our third business partner, uh, you know, the, the world-renowned Dr. Kathy Dooley. Uh, some of you in the audience might know her. She teaches NKT. She has her own uh, seminar series, Immaculate Dissection, and uh, just a really super smart, progressive chiropractor. And um, Joe and I head up our fitness department. And uh, on the fitness side of the house, we have kind of kind of two main products. Um, we do personal training, uh, you know, one-on-one personal training. And uh, kind of the crux of our fitness philosophy is is centered on authentic human movement, moving the way that that humans should move naturally. You know, being able to squat and step and reach and lunge and and you know hang and do all the things that that a human should be able to do in nature. And you know, um, included in that is kind of the developmental sequence, what a, what a baby would do without even being taught. And um, you know, on top of that foundation of, of movement quality, um, we built strength and conditioning on top of that. We have a, a big strength focus and a big conditioning focus. And um, so we work with all sorts of folks, uh, you know, anywhere from um, professional athletes, uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai uh, fighters uh, to, you know, just regular folks. Uh, you know, some of them had injuries in the past um, or, you know, were co-caring kind of alongside physical therapists or chiropractors or whatnot. Uh, you know, both from our own clinic and, and throughout the city, um, you know, we work with a lot of a lot of physical therapists, a lot of clinicians. Um, so we do the one-on-one personal training, and then uh, what Eric was kind of talking about earlier is our semi-private training. And uh, semi-private training, you know, we describe it being a lot like personal training uh, in that it's completely customized for the individual. So we don't really have a kind of one-size-fits-all approach, you know, we're like CrossFit, boot camp, a lot of these, you know, small group fitness formats where it's, it's just the same for everyone. That's not what we're doing. Um, we're going to customize each program for each individual 
Uh, we're going to start off with a really thorough assessment process. We use the functional movement screen, um, you know, get a sense for this person's goals, their movement, their posture, uh, you know, kind of what they need from us from, from a fitness perspective. And then from there, we're going to write a program that, that's completely customized for them. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, that, that's what Catalyst is, something to, you know, help people move better and, and feel better and, and get stronger. I can attest to that. You guys do a great job of it. Um, you know, personally, um, I remember I, coming out of CrossFit or some other, running a half marathon, going into your you know, your establishment, uh, within six six to eight weeks I hit. There was certain things I haven't felt ever, you know, in terms of strength, in terms of engagement. So I thank you for you guys. I mean, between you guys and the coaches you hire, um, you just got a great team and even – couple of uh, patients that I have referred to you guys had a great, great experience there. So, and I could easily refer to you gentlemen, uh, and knowing people are not only going to not get hurt, but they're going to move better. I mean, and that's the Thank you. Yeah, bottom line. Yeah, I mean, I, whenever I have patients who are ready to go to the next step, you guys are my first choice for training. And uh, I, I try to explain to them, I, I just wrote this down real quick, because I feel like one of the philosophies of um, the whole catalyst environment is that saying i don't know where it's from i don't know if it's from the bible or not the uh, give a man a fish you feed him for a day teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime right so it's like the same idea you guys are actually bringing everybody through kind of the beginning stages of strength conditioning and fitness and you're teaching them how to progress on their own and you kind of guide them through and the coaches do the same thing um and i think that's way more valuable than um for the, the traditional, like if you had a traditional personal trainer and you're uh, having the trainer just bring them through kind of all these routines and they never really learn why they're going through them. One of the uh, things we try to always make sure that happens at Catalyst is the members learning mm-hmm. everything that they're doing and why they're doing it and how to do it on their own and to be comfortable doing it all outside of Catalyst. So that way... You know, you guys get them healthy and pain-free, and then we just give them the tools to stay that way. Right. Um, Because if they never learn, they're just going to keep going back to the doctor all the time. Oh, yeah. The cycle continues. (laughs) And that's where the name Catalyst came from, is that we want to be a catalyst for people to, you know, make that change in their own lives. And I think think you hit the nail on the head. I think sometimes in in traditional personal training, uh, the client isn't empowered to take ownership they don't necessarily know what the program is what the workouts are going to you know be in the future they don't know what the plan is um it's kind of just like hey personal trainer i'm here to work me out right. um mm-hmm. and i think that when we empower the clients and when we make the client a, a part of the process and that it's collaborative um and there there is a little bit of that you know taking ownership aspect on the client side that yeah. you know we're going to give them all the tools, but ultimately we want them to, you know, be part of the decision-making process. We want them to understand what they're doing. I think it's so much more powerful for results, um, you know, obviously in the long term, but in the short term too, that they that they really take ownership, I think, is the real key uh, on their workouts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard this from many clients that it's like, so what did you do with your trainers? Like, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, it was a great workout. I sweat. <laughs> I was tired, but I think we did squats, and then that was it. In an hour, they just had like a total blank. And part <laughs> of that is is the you know the person just kind of kicking their ass and bringing them from point, but not giving an explanation. Right. Um, yeah. And there's a you guys have a solid, which I love, a solid starting point, right? Everybody gets everyone who participates in uh, SBT 
gets the uh, initial uh, consultation with the FMS mm-hmm. and uh, movement screen. And is it with the FMS? Do you guys try to keep it consistent with one of you guys doing it, or do you allow any coach to do the FMS to start a person off? So on on the first one, uh, normally Joe and I'll do it. Um, you know, it, do that initial kind of program design, but. Yep. Um, you know, we really use FMS, I think, the way it's supposed to be used, which is that we, we let it inform our programming decisions. Um, you know, we respect the FMS when it, you know, um, indicates that we need to refer out, uh, you know, if there's a pain issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to the extent that the FMS identifies any restrictions, whether it's an overhead restriction or a restriction from squatting, whatever it might be, um, you know, we really take that into account. So Joe and I typically do the, the first initial consultation. Um, but one of the cool things about the FMS is that it, it's pretty easy to learn how to do as a trainer. Um, so kind of the other part of, you know, using the FMS authentically is that we actually do rescreen people. I think there's just way too many gyms out there that use the FMS as exclusively a sales tool and right. not a fitness tool. Right. Um, you know, I know someone... Um, she went to a personal trainer. The personal trainer put her through the FMS. Uh, it identified some stuff. You know, she actually shared with me the, the FMS scores. Okay, cool. So, like, what are you guys doing um, to, to remedy? You know, you have deficiencies on, on your lunge. You have deficiencies on your shoulder mobility. Like, what are what's going into the program to address this? And it's like, oh, no, nothing. We just did it on the first day, and then I just do the workouts. And it's yeah. like, mm. what was the point? Um mm. So, so yeah, Joe and I do the first screens typically, but then um, when it comes to rescreening people um, for, for subsequent programs, that's a big part of our philosophy too is, you know, typically we'll write six-week programs and then at the end of the six weeks, we're going to reevaluate, you know, again, collaboratively with the client. We're going to um, ask them, how did things go? Are there any changes to your goals? Um, you know, is there anything you had trouble with? Things like that. We'll do our rescreens at that time and then we'll write them a new program. So um, on those rescreens, our, our entire staff is, you know, more than capable of, of conducting a great FMS. And That's one of the powerful things about the FMS is it is so reproducible that, yes. you know, I know if Omari did an FMS, if Fabian did an FMS, if, if Joe did it, that, you know, a, a two on active straight leg raise is the same for all of them. Right. And, you know, not just at Catalyst, too, any any FMS professional who's who's worth their salt, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that should be reproducible. Yeah, yeah no, I just I thought it was cool because in my head I was thinking for like research and stuff because they're keeping right. it consistent with the, right. and the even uh, like, exam. And even like some, I think for, for fit, uh, in the rehab world, some of the objective tests are somewhat subjective, right? right. I mean, if you're checking joint mobility, you know, oh, yeah. me and I might find different things, but you're right. FMS is pretty clear. I mean, what a one and what the numbers are. <laughs> and I, one of the things I like about the FMS is like it is so simple, and I think it's one of these cases where simplicity on one level allows for complexity on the next. Absolutely. That the the screen itself is just it's so simple. It's zero to three bases. Zero means there's pain. A one means you couldn't do it. A two means you did it, but not perfectly. And a three is a unicorn. It means you did it perfectly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like the key to the FMS is just get that set up right. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're you know doing the squat, it's like, all right, your feet are exactly shoulder width apart. Your toes are exactly pointing forward. And then I just have to look at it and say, hey, it, it, was it perfect? Did he do it? Et cetera. Uh, and that simplicity allows for a lot of complexity behind it that, you know, between Joe and I, we've probably done, you know, five, six hundred, eight hundred, I mean, hundreds of these FMSs over the years. And um, it's such a clear rubric 
that you always kind of know what to do next. And, and sometimes what to do next is, hey, you know what? This is outside my scope. I need to get a clinician involved with this. Um, but there's never like, oh, man, here are all these scores on a piece of paper. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with these numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you'll get wacky ones, mm-hmm. but the the system lets you, you know, program for such a wide variety of people that um, – you know, one of the reasons why we love the FMS so much. It's awesome. Yeah, and I think it's a testament. You know, I definitely ran through a couple of them with Fabian. <laughs> yeah. And it was, um, again, it is, I I have heard some fitness professionals using it as a catch. Like, hey, look look at the stuff that's wrong with you. Right. You need to train. But um, mm-hmm. I haven't heard about the retesting, which is kind of why a test exists in the first place. <laughs> but then there's the, the level two for the FMS, which has all the kind of, correctives for gotcha. lack of a better word right, like, right. like breakouts so if you get a one on something you know you go and you go to that whole system it just breaks it down for you this is what you do first if that mm. score is there if it moves in the right direction that's your drill for you if it doesn't let's try the next thing mm. you just keep going down the list until you find the one that works and that's the one for you it's not really like there's no guessing it's not like let's just try this and see what happens <laughs> right. it's like this is what you do and okay it worked great and if you can't get it to move ever, then it's like, okay, now I need to refer to, like, one of you guys. And it's a larger issue that I can't do as right. a physical uh, personal trainer. Right. Um, I know one of the things that Jason likes to say a lot is uh, we never solve a medical issue with a fitness solution yes. or whichever way you want to say right, right, right. it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like the FMS helps kind of put those guidelines out there. Um, yeah. I think the public uh, just um, I think the public likes to hear uh, well how you uh, know how to refer out. I think people appreciate when you say, "Hey, I think it's time to see a doctor," as right. opposed to, "Let's try something else." <laughs> Let's try something, you know. And you keep, you know, I've been there. I, I've right, been there <laughs> where you know you're trying to solve a solution that that you may not have the answer to, and maybe even a fitness profession, excuse me, a medical professional doesn't. Yeah. But uh, people do respect that. You know, referring out. It's a, such a big problem in the fitness industry that as as fitness is kind of, yes. I, I think, correctly moving into you know corrective exercise yes. and movement quality and um, you know with our sedentary population, I, I think it's really important. But I think it's also important that we not cross that line. That it's like, oh, your back hurts. Like, cool. Let me show you some ab exercises. Like, try the dying bug. It'll probably make your back pain yeah. feel better. And like. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's totally irresponsible right. for someone without the appropriate credentials. And I think uh, from from Catalyst perspective, you know, one of the reasons that we've been so successful working with people that have, you know, whether they've had a history of pain or, you know, whether we're working alongside of clinical care and they're, they're still actively in pain, one of the reasons that we've been so successful with those populations is because we will never, ever, ever cross that line from a fitness mm-hmm. perspective. Um if something hurts, if something someone has pain, there's just nothing for a personal trainer to do about that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that the person can't work out. You know, maybe they've got, um, you know, a knee issue and, and, you know, we can still do upper body work in the gym or whatnot. Or, you know, uh, maybe the physical therapist has, has given us a certain set of restrictions of, you know, well, we want them to do lunging, but we need to be careful of this, but we don't want them to do squatting yet, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, we'll take those those input from clinicians and we'll integrate it. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna need that input first before we're working with someone that that has an active pain issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, with your experience uh, in working with all the physical therapists and even doctors at some point, would you see 
uh, would you say that some can be a little too restrictive? Yeah. And you're, yeah. I mean, this is this is something as a, <laughs> being on both sides of the fence. Because I recall, yeah. you know, I, before I was a physical therapist, I was a trainer. General fitness, let's keep it at that. Sure. And I recall, you know, a lot of people saying, well, I can't, you know, physical therapist not, told me not to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, damn, that actually going to make them worse, right? I'm not moving. Mm. But how do you handle that? I guess my question to you is, how do you handle that? I mean, it's a it's a dance you have to play with. Yeah, I, I think people, people are definitely smarter. I think one of the things I've noticed in the last, you know, maybe six or seven years since I've been training people is that there definitely is a trend now of, like, if, you know, a physical therapist tells someone, like, hey, don't do squats. They're bad for your knees. Or, like, yeah. you should never <laughs> lift anything yeah. overhead. Um, like, you know, over lifting overhead is just, you know, bad for everyone should never be done. I, I think people are starting to get smarter that, um, they, they recognize that, Hey, maybe that's not true. And I think there is a little bit more skepticism on those kind of just overly restrictive, yes, yes. super cautious physical therapists. Um, but you know, from our perspective, like sometimes we do get recommendations or restrictions from a physical therapist and it's like, you look at it and it's like, you know, I'm not a professional. I don't have the qualifications. It's outside my scope, sure. But, like, at the same time, I've seen a lot of these cases. Right. I've worked with a lot of people that have had injuries. And, you know, you just get something back. And it's like, mm, I, I, I don't know about that. And then it's kind of like, hey, it's it, it's on us to follow the lead of someone right. who has a, a more advanced degree and advanced qualifications and, um, you know, who's truly a medical professional when we're not. Um, we have to respect those. And, right. and we do respect those. But I think um, – I think more and more the patients are starting to realize of like, hmm, there's something else going on here. Um, they see other people, you know, in semi-private training. They see other people who are in the gym that, you know, maybe have injuries that are similar or, or you know, maybe even more significant and they're not restricted. And um, so, you know, there's definitely been times where I've, you know, said to people, hey, here, here's how I would think about this. This isn't, you know, to give you medical advice, but here's some things you might consider, um, you know, I, I think kind of the, the corollary to that um, instance of overly restrictive uh, physical therapy is just the rushed surgery. Uh, right. You know, oh, man. Yeah. Right. I saw, I saw my surgeon and, you know, surprise, surprise, the surgeon wants to do surgery. It's <laughs> um, tool, man. Yep. You know, right. If you're a butcher, you cut meat. If you're a carpenter, you hammer nails. And if, if you're a surgeon, you do surgery. That's It's in the name. Mm. And, um, you know, I think in most cases they mean well. But, but there's definitely been instances where, you know um, – you know, send someone like uh, that study on uh, placebo meniscus repair versus actual meniscus repair oh, and just say, hey, here's something I would think about if, if I was in your perspective. Yes. Um, and, you know, sometimes maybe that's a case to to get our clinic involved of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm CCing Dr. Dooley and Dr. Dooley has some really interesting research she, she might be able to share with you on uh, meniscus tears um, oh. and just try to, you know, hey... I don't want to negate what anyone says, right. but here's some things you might want to look into. All right. No, I, it's a great. I I use the same terminology as like, hey, if it was, if it was my knee or right. it was my mom's knee, this is this is what I would tell them. But use your judgment. Right. Right. <laughs> Here are just some facts. Here's some questions right. I would ask myself. Yeah. Before Ex getting a surgery. Explore the most conservative um, management first, or the conservative yeah. methods first, and I think that's. Especially if you've seen that before, it's like, well, it's hundreds of times. Yeah, it's, it's like, well, you know, um, maybe that might not be the case. Surgery is not the best thing to look at right now. You can explore other things. Um, 
No, that's I think that, that's I know what I noticed the most at Catalyst is that the language that uh, the coaches use, the clinicians use, and the uh, um, clients who go there, it's all interchangeable, meaning that everybody's on the same page with that. I think that's huge because that, that can be lost in the wayside, I think, when people go from physical therapy or from a doctor and they go to training and then there's various language and everyone's like, all right, well, I don't know what to do. Then, like, this is, you're telling me not to squat. And then they're saying, you know, you're starting to do just basic hinging, things like that. So... Um, that's one thing I feel like makes it really smooth and also it allows the people to progress really quickly mm-hmm. in, in a good way where they're able to get over their injury. And like I've seen people who never de- deadlifted before and they're deadlifting their body weight, sometimes double their body weight, and they're they're doing incredible things like that. Do you guys try to – because I've only, I've only saw one meeting where it was – um, you guys probably do more of these, but where there might be that clinical recommendations or clinical feedback for the coaches and then vice versa too. So you guys are all working together with different uh, clients. Yeah, we try to have in services as much as we can, either hosted by a clinician or mm-hmm. um, just to like circle everybody back around and maybe discuss <clears throat> some kind of members that are there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the coaches take uh, – education that borders physical therapy and then we'll have them do an in-service and include the whole team on like what courses they took so Mm. we're always trying to improve education and spread it around the whole team so everybody's on the same page and not just one person knows one thing and the other person knows something else and want everybody to know everything right um, members included like, right right we don't hold back the knowledge so that they keep coming each time like oh give them a little more this time <laughs> a little bit more next time and, like, i feel like that's a huge thing that happens in personal training a lot is like yeah, you just have to be an entertainer and like yeah, yes, all right well this person's paying me and i want them to keep paying me so i'm gonna hold all this information back and let a little drip out each time and right um now nah, we're just Here's all the information. <laughs> here it is. Do what you can with it and keep coming back for questions. But like, here it all is right in front of you. Um, and the other thing I see is, like, like you said before, you want to teach the client um, how to program themselves. So like they, it's very structured where when they go in and you guys teach them, all right, this is where we keep the programs. You're going to go get your program. We bring it out. You record everything. And then the names of the exercises, if it's something new, they just go to the coach. Again, that, that everyone has the same language and everyone's able to set them up. And it seems like the more advanced exercises are always built, obviously, on their foundational exercises. So mm-hmm. all you have to say is, like, all right, reference the deadlift, and then you add this onto it or so on and so forth, which is really cool. I, I think it's it's one of the things that, um, you know, we first talked about when we kind of first conceptualized the way we wanted to do semi-private training. Um, you know, Joe and I came from, from a one-on-one personal training background, and the challenge was like, well, how are we going to teach people advanced exercises if they're in a, a three-on-one setting? You know, how do you take time away? H- how does it work? And, um, you know, the answer we kind of came up with at the time is like, we're, we're going to pattern them to death, and, and they're going to love it. And, mm-hmm. and that's really that's borne out over the past, you know, uh, three, four years since we've been doing semi-private training. And I think one of the things that surprised me was that kind of – even more focus on the basics that just excellence at the basics um, coming first and foremost, in this case, by necessity, I think it actually drives better results. Like one of the things that I've noticed, um, you know, from, from the one-on-one clients that I still do work with is like, I was probably teaching people kettlebell swings way too early, five or six years ago. Whereas now it's like, we're just going to force them 
to, to master the kettlebell deadlift before they even get near the swing. And, uh, you know, to, to your point, Lee, then when it comes time to teach them, uh, you know, something like a kettlebell swing, it's, okay, hey, remember the kettlebell deadlift you've been doing for the last, you know, three weeks, month, whatever it's been? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Then basically just do that faster. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, instead of... I've spent entire hours trying to teach people how to do a kettlebell swing, um, you know, coming out (laughs) of the RKC. Hey, I just learned this great thing. Like, I want to teach it to you. Now it's like, you know, I'll see someone, they got a new program. It's their first day of the program. And like, they're doing perfect kettlebell swings because the the pattern and and the movement quality mastery came first. So it's, um, it's cool because it keeps the client in a successful mindset that there's never that or there's less of that frustration factor where it's like, I'm trying to do this new movement and I feel uncoordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's a lower risk approach of course, because there's, there's less advanced stuff, you know, sooner. Um, but, but like I was saying, I, I think one of the things that's really surprised me is just how much more powerful that's been in terms of fitness results. I think, um, you know, as a trainer, like Joe kind of touched on it. So many trainers are just trying to entertain, and there's there's so many exercises out there. I feel like, especially with Instagram and and you know the universe of exercises has has grown tremendously in the last like five years, and uh, some of that's great. Like my personal universe of exercises that I do on my own, that I do with clients, that we use in semi private has grown. But um, you know, I think there are those trainers out there that like they're just kind of adult babysitters it's like hey like i got this new exercise i got that new exercise and it's like i just don't know you just can't keep up it's it's not a game you're gonna win in the long term eventually it's like "Ah, i'm out of stuff um and that's normally when you know i gotta find a new client um but what i think is much more powerful uh both in terms of of results and outcomes and also you know with with that catalyst idea of empowering the client to to you know, take ownership and have a long-term success with, with what we do is, hey, instead of showing you this crazy thing that I just saw on Instagram where we're going to, you know, balance on one leg on a BOSU ball doing it, whatever, um, <laughs> here's the most basic thing there is, picking something up off the ground, a kettlebell deadlift. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you that why you've been doing that, um, why there's a better way, that, hey, this is what intra-abdominal pressure feels like. This is what using your lats feels like. This is what a neutral spine feels like, a neutral neck. This is proper mechanics of the foot. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's there's so much here for me to learn that I didn't even realize. And, and, and you know, kind of, again, that simplicity on one level allowing to us to, to address complexity on the next level. The most mm-hmm. simple exercise there is, you know, in some ways, picking a kettlebell off, off the floor in this example and then we get into, you know, there's just so much richness there beneath the surface as, you know, as far as the things we mentioned, you know, neutral spine and foot mechanics and abdominal pressure and, and muscle activation, et cetera. So um, the, the latter is what we strive for is mastery of the basics rather than, you know, just constantly coming up with new stuff because it, it's just not a game we can win, especially in, a, in an environment where, where we are, where we have, you know, Joe and I and five coaches, um, you know, where we have a lot of people in the program we need to be able to ensure that that every single person that that comes through our door in semi-private, you know, we have about sixty sessions a week. Mm. Um, we want to ensure that every single person is is getting an excellent result, and um, that requires us to to kind of narrow our universe a little bit, and um, and, and that's what we've done. Very cool. I mean, I, what you just said with simple deadlift can give you know the average person that doesn't know, you know, doesn't have great body awareness. 
I mean, within a couple of weeks, things could really change. I mean, um, intro, you know, each one of those things you mentioned is like, um, could, could be sessions, you know, could oh be, yeah, could be many sessions. And I think when you combine that simple movement with those three or four or five key points, you know, people are just literally moving better. <laughs> Not to sound cheesy, but it, it really, um, it's, it's a big thing. And I think strong first as an organization, and, um, does an excellent job of kind of taking a complex concept and making it simple and digestible in a way that you could reproduce. Um, and that's what you guys do well. <laughs> you guys, did you guys both start with RKC first and then went uh, strong first? Because um, I, I remember when we first met, you had just done, I, th- I, I thought you had just done RKC where you did the Beast Tamer. Yeah. If I was, if that was great. It was uh, So that, that was before the inception of... Well, I don't even remember. I don't even know when SFG started. But Jason and I, I think, did the last RKC. Oh, you did. The la- that was the last like big format RKC. Yeah. Like now, the RKCs mm-hmm. and, and they do a great job still. The RKC. Yeah. Um, you know, now I think the biggest RKC you're going to see is maybe like 16, 18 people. Um, you know, ours was 80. It was. It was wow. big. It was like you know, in a um, filled like two turfs worth yeah. of. Was it in Chicago or was it here in Virginia? Virginia. Yeah, it was like a D.C. area. So, That's awesome. so we kind of came in like when the split was still happening. Okay. Um, so Pavel, we had signed up, I think, for the RKC. Before the split. Before, before the split. Before it was announced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was it, me, you, Paul, and Flex. And we all Flex. went down together. Mm. Yeah, Ari. Uh, Ari yeah, Harris. Yeah, yeah you yeah, know Ari right. Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of helping us and, and mentoring us along. And, uh, yeah, we had signed up. I think we had just signed up, and then this split got announced, and it was like, well, what do we do? Do we try to get a refund? We heard that they were issuing refunds. Um, Mm -hmm. As it turned out, there was a strong first in Boston the same weekend that we ended up doing RKC. But that's what um, it was. That was a first strong first. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. but, you know, ours, I, ours was taught by, by John Angam, was the master instructor, who's now with RKC. I think it was kind of put out there as, like... That was his last RKC before he went to Strong First. I see. Okay. Yeah. So I think we even I think we even Facebook messaged him and, you know, kind of had some conversations with him and, and, and kind of got comfortable with, you know, hey, if, if John Angam's in charge, we know we're going we're gonna to get a good, great product on the RKC. Mm. And... Um, you know, and we did. Um, RKC, RKC is still a great product. We had one product. in October at Catalyst. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. cool. Is uh, Coach Fury doing that? Yep. Coach nice. Master RKC Coach Fury. That's awesome. Um, the, you know, the new RKCs are really cool. I think the, the RKC versus Strong First, you know, debate I think is meaningless to me. I think SFG puts on a great product. They're super fun. They're rah-rah. They're high energy. You have that kind of big team atmosphere. Um and the RKC, you know, they're definitely smaller feel. You get a lot more feedback. You get a lot more time with the the, um, the master instructor and the, the assistant instructors. And um, you know, they're they're both still teaching Pavel's Pavel's material. You know, to, to me, Pavel's like one of the the great fitness mind, maybe yes. maybe the single great fitness mind of, of of our generation. I think he's, you know, again to come back to simplicity, but. Um, you know, he's he's utilized simplicity in, in a way. He's made it accessible. Um, pa- Pavel's a genius, and, and I think both RKC and, and, and Strong First um, are really authentic still to to Pavel's material and, and you know everything that Pavel's taught. You know, over the last twenty twenty five years. Have you guys? I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. Have you guys actually? Have you met 
Pavel at all? Or? I've never met yeah, Pavel. Yeah. Really? I've done Tons. what level one, level two of both organizations, body weight certs for both organizations, uh. taught for both organizations at least five times, and I've still not so met, met Pavel. Wow. Yeah, listening, hearing him on podcasts and stuff. I mean, the guy is so amazing. He's something. He, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was the captain of the Power to the People deadlift team. One, I still I've never met yeah. him. <laughs> and our level two, our level two that I went to was like the first level two in 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 the U.S. And at one point, like, I guess we were in a presentation, and like, I, I don't know what it was that caught people's attention, but everyone started looking to the back of the room. I got excited. I'm like, oh, is, is Pavel here? Is Pavel going to make like a, a surprise appearance? And um, and I think it was just that, like something had just like fallen or something, and like a couple people turned around, and then I think everyone else had the same thought that I had of like, "Ooh, is Pavel here?" Yeah. So everyone started turning around of like, "Oh, it's... and uh, so so no, I've I have not met uh, the great Pavel, oh, um, but I know people who have. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he does exist, you know. He, he's a, yeah. As as far as I know, right, right, right. <laughs> I think Artemis met him a couple times. Right, and, I'm um, sure she. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so. All right, so when I remember it, that you you did uh, uh, level one and you did the Beast Tamer at level one. Yeah, it was the same weekend. And I read, I think you wrote this article or blog uh, regarding the process to prepare for the D- Beast Tamer. And is that how you got connected with uh, Dr. Dooley? Yeah, we got connected with Dr. Dooley through through Ari, um, who, who, like I said, was kind of mentoring us through the RKC, who Joe knew from, from working at New York Sports Clubs together. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we met Dr. Dooley. It was it was just kind of a kind of fortuitous thing that Ari and Joe went to a it was Dave Whitley, um, who was then I guess Master RKC at the time, um, was doing one of his like little workshops that was was not affiliated with an organization. He teaches some breathing. He teaches the bent press, I believe. Mm. Um, and so Dr. Dooley had had produced this workshop. She had rented the space and collected the registrations and whatnot, and um, this was January, excuse me, this was January of 2013. Mm. And um, so Joe came back from this workshop and he's like, hey, like, I, I met this lady there and she's, she's unbelievable. She's, mm. she's an anatomist and she's a chiropractor and she's this and she's that. Um, and, and, you know, you got to meet her. This is, this is, you know. Yeah, I got uh, to know her because I needed an assessment. Uh, <laughs> My back was like not feeling good and I went to her for a, just to deal with some disc issues and stuff and then after that I was like all right well she's gonna refer me people and I'm gonna refer her people like everybody's just got to meet this person that's awesome yeah and was that kind of the the beginnings of what was to become catalyst board or is that did that develop over time you guys it happened pretty quickly Um, so this was so probably if that was like late January of 2013 I think sometime in February um, this is Joe and I were still working at New York Sports Clubs at the time um so the four of us, me, Joe, Ari, and and Dr. Dooley got together, and it was like, oh, we're going to do a workout together. Dooley had just been through the RKC mm. uh, herself, I think, in, in September of the previous year, and we ended up we ended up working out for like three, was way too long, three and a half, like something I would never recommend <laughs> someone do. Um, there's a lot of talking, like just uh, BSing, but and it was and a, then just yeah. like it's a long workout. Like, well, no, so it was. 
we start off of like, you know, you ever do like the circle of swing? Like, I forgot. That was the deck of death. Right. But then we did the deck of death after the circle. <laughs> oh, circles. my God. So we had done like these swing circles, and then Ari pulls out a deck of cards. Um, and, and for listeners that aren't familiar with the, the deck of death workouts, it's like you'll assign each um, suit a different exercise. So, like, hearts might be snatches, and, you know, diamonds might be goblet squats. So, if you draw the the five of diamonds, you'd do five goblet squats, or if you drew the nine of hearts, you'd do nine snatches. It comes out to a lot of reps. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done the Three map. hours worth. Uh. Yeah, it was a long time. Well, it was like, yeah, so we start going through this deck of cards, and it's like, nobody wants to be the one that's like, hey, guys, like, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we like should enough. stop. <laughs> uh, this is the deck over. And, and then, like, by the time someone finally, like, what, it was like, you know, hey, like, at this point, we're just, like, committed to, to, to finishing this thing out. Um, so it was like, yeah, there's, like, some down time but like we finished the whole deck like i remember we like, did it three times because we did it for birthdays we did it for birthdays Good later God. too. <laughs> um that's awesome and yeah so so this was like kind of my first time meeting dr dooley and um so like yeah the four of us we, we went hard on that workout <laughs> and um and then dooley's like you, you know how dooley is she's she's full of energy she's just like there's no off switch mm-hmm. and um so we get done with this like insane workout and, and part of the purpose was of her coming to near sports clothes is that she was going to assess me and uh, i was like all right great well you know now it's like five o'clock um, <laughs> are, 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 i can't move right. are, are, are you ready for your assessment and oh like, my god okay yeah sure and this was um I think this is from that interview um, with, with Dragon Door that I think yes. you were referencing. Yes. Of, um, you know, so she put me through the assessment, um, you know, identified that if I tried to do a rolling pattern, I'd get, like, severe cramps in my midsection. It was like, oh, I got to stop for a second here. <laughs> like, um, you know, and I was I was a pretty successful power lifter at that point already. And um, so we're having dinner afterwards, and Dooley says to me, oh, so, so Jay, are you going to do Beast Tamer? And I was like, well, you know, I can do the press, I can do the pull-up, but, like, I, I can't do a pistol squat. I've never done it um, th- because I walked on my toes as a, as a kid. I walked on my toes until, you know, was, I was eight. I had the what they call the, the Z-plasty of the Achilles tendon where they, you know, kind of make a cut to lengthen the Achilles tendon. But I, w- I was a toe walker with, you know, a lot of what comes with that with kids as far as being, um, you know, a little bit anxious as a kid and, and, and walking on my toes and um, – so I had that Z cut surgery when I was eight, and and it helped a lot. Um, you know, I was able to go on and, and and do a lot with my athletic career, but um, you know, always did have some restriction as far as ankle mobility, and and I think at this time, you know, February two thousand thirteen, may or may not have had the vocabulary to exactly explain. Um, hey, I have you know dorsiflexion restriction, um, but I knew something was kind of going on with the lower leg, whatever. Um, and that I had never really been able to do a pistol squat, um, weighted or unweighted. So dually system, well, you know, hey, listen, you got you got two months to get there. I think that the RKC was scheduled for for April, and uh, you know we're sitting there in February. So all right, um, you know, she kind of gave me that glimmer of of hope of like, hmm, you know, if she thinks it's possible, she seems pretty smart, and. Um, so Dr. Dooley had given me, you know, a, a series of drills to do, most of which didn't even really have anything to do with the ankle. Um, they were more, you know, core sequencing was, was really the the lower hanging fruit, the more immediate issue. And, uh, well, long story short, this was on like a Friday. 
Um, I went from not being able to do a pistol squat um, to being doing a pistol squat with the beast by like the next Wednesday or Thursday. Um, you know, I did Dr. Julie's drills probably like, like legitimately like eight, nine, ten times a day, um, which is you know. Working at a gym, it definitely makes it easier mm-hmm. of like, all right, you know, I got 10 minutes before my next client. Let me, let me do these drills again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, like, even, I mean, to this day, I still require some some counterweight to get down to the bottom of a pistol. Um, you know, an unweighted pistol, I just don't have enough, you know, forward movement of, you know, dorsal, ankle dorsiflexion to get down there. But like, yeah, with a 48 kilo counterweight, like, yeah, sure thing, no problem. Um, the, the problem's not getting down, da- I'm not getting up because I was already at that point of, you know, 500 plus pound, um, you know, barbell squatter. I was mm. like, all right, well, if, if I have the mobility, the stability, uh, you know, the, the, the movement quality to get down to the bottom of the pistol, like, yeah, sure, I've got the leg strength to get back up. And, um, so yeah, I, I had a little bit of remediation to do on, on the pull up. I think I was able to get a pull up with, with, roughly the weight of the beast but probably not quite touch my throat to the bar so spent a bunch of time just doing like um you know i guess almost isometrics where i would do a pull-up um typically with a kettlebell on my foot to really dial in that that abdominal tension um hold the bar on my throat for you know three seconds whatever and, and, and do sets of you know maybe four or five there um but yeah but the the, the press and the pull-up were, were the easy part the pistol was what i kind of had to solved the puzzle for and, and dr dooley was was instrumental in that and so that was kind of the first time that the three of us started working together so this is february uh, of 2013 like i said and, and pretty quickly quickly we started referring patients and clients back and forth um i think it was in a lot of ways the three of us it was it was kind of just an immediate click where it was like what dr dooley was seeing clinically as far as the importance of strength and, and you know movement quality and whatnot is kind of uh, a similar or at least complementary philosophy to what we were seeing on on the fitness side of things, and it was great for us to be able to have someone to refer to that we could just trust so much. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you know, like we we're saying, like people get hurt in personal training; it's just a fact of life. You know, maybe not the fault of the personal trainer; they you know it happens on the weekend, whatever the case. Um, you need to have that network as a personal trainer because if they just go to any old physical therapy, they're going to come back of like, oh, like, what do you mean? You're squatting below parallel? Like, (laughs) you lifted a weight over your head? You swung (laughs) a kettlebell, like, quickly? Um, (laughs) So to have someone... Horrified. (laughs) The weight moves fast? (laughs) Um, So to have someone like Dr. Dooley where it's like we could send it to her and have them come back and be like, oh, yeah, Dr. Dooley says it's awesome that I'm lifting so much weight Mm -hmm. and she just wants me to do this and this instead or, you know, this and this in addition. It's like, okay, cool. Um, Now we don't have to put our training on hold. So um, and and then the other side of it was that, you know, Dr. Dooley wanted trainers that she could trust and that would, um, you know, implement what she was seeing on the rehab side of things and, and continue that progress um, and, and build on that progress in a fitness setting. So so pretty quickly, we were referring patients and clients back and forth. And, and by that spring, like I think by the time that we had gotten to the RKC in, in April, I think by then it was already like, hey, we're, we're starting a business together. Uh, I think I think we weren't quite telling people yet at the RKC. No, I, was, I remember just like looking around New York Sports Club one day and just being like, I need to get the hell out of here. What are these bozos doing? Like, why does that person, like, have that strap around his neck standing on that wall like that? Like, what's happening? And, like, that guy's just screaming numbers at this person and he's not even doing anything. Like, what's going on? And, like, just send out an email to, like, 
the three of us and was like, hey, you guys want to, like, get out of here and, like, pay someone else's rent, like our own, instead of New York sports clubs? And, like, right. yeah, we just went from there. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. I was just thinking when you were telling that story about the Beast Tamer, uh, there was – I'm probably going to get the story a little wrong, but I was training a client in Catalyst, and you were either running SBT or you were with a client while SBT was going on, okay. and you were trying to explain to a client about your uh, the history of your feet. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there was another client, a uh, separate one, lying on his back, and he was listening in, and he like looked at it, and he's like, how do you run? And he was asking <laughs> about your ankle, and you'd lean in, and you'd go... Like a freight train. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. And it, I mean, you obviously had a relationship with this client and joking around with them, but I thought it was like the perfect answer. I was like, you know, just because the, there were some limitations of the feet, that doesn't mean you can't run. But you, you, it was just, it was just very, it was like, a, for me, it was a combination of like, you guys have accurate information. You're able to <laughs> just dispel that to a client, which I thought was hilarious. And the seamlessness of his uh, retort. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was very quick. And I was like, oh, it was great. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I, I ran like a four 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 or something forty in, in high school. Yeah, Holy for lacrosse. Um, that's crazy. I mean, I, you know, I was an all state midfielder in lacrosse. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Wow. So it was. Um, I think that's the other thing too. Like when it comes to, you know, ha- having the Z plasty and, and dorsiflexion restriction at my ankle is like, I never really viewed it as a as a problem. Like I kind of. For better or for worse, I almost feel like I was misinformed for most of my childhood. Like, I remember I was kind of a, a precocious eight-year-old. I was very, like, interested in, like, anatomy and muscles at that age. And I remember, like, this surgery being, like, you know, in some ways a, a difficult experience, but in some ways kind of like a cool thing of, like, I got to meet this orthopedist and, like, they show me, like, tendons and stuff. And it was like, oh, cool. Um But the orthopedist was like, hey, you're going to be 95% after this surgery. And, and I think... You know, is that true? Is that not true? I mean, you know, if you actually measured my ankle dorsiflexion, it's it's well short of 95% of what it should be. Um, but I never, like, viewed it as a limitation throughout my childhood. Um, you know, it was really active, played a lot of sports. Um, you know, I, I struggled with distance running um, and, and never really knew why. Uh, I guess i thought it might have something to do with with this ankle dorsiflexion thing but and, and now i know it's because a lack of energy return at, at the the lower leg there the foot and the ankle mm. um but in some ways it just made me work harder as an athlete because it's like well i have i have no reason to to be bad at this and so it's like oh, i'm just i'm just gonna work harder and work harder um you know when i was in I guess it was fifth grade. Remember, like, the presidential, like, um, fitness mm. test badge? Yes. And, you know, I'm yes, sure yes, Lee got yes, this. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was terrible at that, actually. No way. Yeah. Uh, I, I ran, like, the slowest up. mile, and I couldn't do a pull-up. Um, I could do push-ups. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Pass the box. Sit and reach. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I was like, I had always gotten whatever, like the low, I think the yellow, the, the participation badge. Um, <laughs> and, and like, everybody's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, all right, before I graduate elementary school, like, I have to get, I'm not going to get the blue one, but at least maybe mm-hmm. I can get the red one. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, you know, the mile was the hardest one mm-hmm. and um, had flunked the mile. Uh, you know, when we ran it as a class. And so I asked the gym, can I run it again? And um, and I failed again. And, and basically, as, as a 10-year-old, probably ran the mile, like, every single day. for Like, the, the class had moved on. Like, they were doing kickball or something. Mm. Um, 
and I was just running this mile every day until I got whatever the time was. And and I think, you know, it's kind of strange to think that, like, as a 10-year-old, that's how I was. But, uh, competitive, man. Competitive. Competitive. competitive <laughs> right? explains a lot. No. <laughs> but I think when you have that belief, right, of, like, hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. I'm at 95%. I had this surgery, and I don't even think twice about it. Yeah. It's like, all right, I, I think that's what pushed me to kind of – work hard in the weight room and work hard on, on, on physical conditioning. Cause it was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just out of shape. I'm just bad at running. I have to do it more. Mm. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess the point of the story is just the power of belief. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that we do a lot, you know, um, Joe and I and our coaches is, is the power of language. Um, you know, especially when we're working with people that have, that have had injuries before, um, the, the mind is is so powerful and so important, and you know, the language that we use with our patients and clients, and and what beliefs we're imparting to our patients and clients are are, are so critical. Um, I, I think there's just too many instances, you know, where people have an injury and they just okay, this is something that's always going to hold me back, and. You know, of course, there's cases where, you know, that's true. And I'm not saying that we don't have to be conservative or whatnot. Yeah, of course, we still have to be smart about our injuries. Um, but but beliefs are a really powerful thing. And I think, you know, you'll see two people that have identical injuries and have, you know, totally divergent outcomes. Um, and, and I think the mind is, is often what separates them. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's so big right now. I mean, what we talk about a lot in this the podcast, especially in the physical therapy industry, because uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of like things like nocebo, sure. and um, it's just this element that it does something to the brain that when we start talking and you're in a position um, that someone is trying to learn from, then it can have a, a huge difference in outcome what, what they're going through. Even with your um, going back to your surgeon, you know. Ninety-five percent, you're gonna be fine. I mean, that's mm. that's kind of that's very empowering. Even though right. you were eight, right. you knew you were like, I'm I'm fine, and you didn't even consider it as opposed to maybe a surgeon. That would be horrible. I think it'd be negligent. But telling an eight-year-old like, hey, you know, you're gonna have some limitations. Right. You know, you may never run again or something, something, something that powerful. But yet, the true testament. I mean, you guys I see it in the fitness industry as well as rehab and medical. But the power of words and. It, instrumental in getting people better and, and research is now proving this so it's yeah. great stuff it's unbelievable the way that you know different people approach different injuries that people just identify with an injury of like oh this is you know this is my you know medial epicondylitis and this is <laughs> this is something i have you'll meet someone a, a fitness client and it's like the first thing that like hey the first thing you need to know about me is like i had this injury and it's like Oh, okay, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think people people get focused on it, and, and I think sometimes it is the, the power of language. Um, you know, one of the, I was, we have an intern now, and uh, one of the things I was telling him of, like, when you're working with people that are injured is, like, not constantly reminding them of yes. the injury. And, and it's a hard balance to strike. So, like, if I have someone that, that's a new client um, and, you know, it's the second week, the third week we're working together – and they're just coming out of clinical clarity. Yeah, hey, how's your hip feeling? Or, you know, how's your shoulder? Whatever it is. Um, but if we're like three months into training and every time they show up for training, the first thing I say to them is, how is your injury? Mm-hmm. Am I really helping that person? Mm-hmm. Um, or am mm-hmm. I just causing them to dwell on it? Um, like we were talking about this the other day in the gym with, um, with thoracic outlet syndrome. 
and I was saying I wish they didn't call it syndrome. Because um, once you have a syndrome, it's like, oh, I've been diagnosed with, with TOS. Like, I have this. <laughs> right. I have a syndrome. Um, it's not like I just have an injury of like, oh, yeah, you know, my posture's a little out of whack. My breathing's a little out of whack. You know, whatever. My my thoracic outlet's closed down a little bit. It's like, I have a syndrome. Right. Um, <laughs> and I've definitely noticed that that injury in particular it elicits some different yeah. approaches mentally. And I think... I think the power of language is, is definitely part of the reason that that, you know, because, again, it's like you're just building up the importance and you're building up the scope of, of, of this issue that, you know, may or may not be be major. No, and to your point with the syndrome, I mean, part of the reason they call it syndrome is because they don't, they don't, they don't, know. don't really know what happened. Know what it so it's a cluster. The other of, way oh, would be a phenomenon. Are, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your hands are numb. Oh. The Raynaud's. Yeah, you anyway. get the yeah, so yeah, syndromes. Yeah, we deal with it on a daily basis and it's a daily basis and it's um it's a challenge, but what you just said, I mean we we've worked alongside of some people, some therapists and but that so how's your pain? Or right. first thing, not how are you, how's your knee? You know, and then, right. then that's the dialogue. And people sometimes walk their condition to it. So they come in okay. before they even get to the clinic, they're oh, he's gonna ask about my knee. How does right. it feel? Oh shit! It hurt three times today off the stairs. Mm-hmm. I don't know, about, but great, great. You guys are forward thinkers, man. That's, no, that's the way to be. <laughs> um, and I've worked with therapists that they literally like, "What's this on the scale today?" Yeah, but I'm just like, "That's the first question." Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, crazy. but hopefully the the word gets out. Yeah, I mean, it is. It I, is getting out. Yeah, you said it earlier. Things people are getting smarter. People are definitely getting smarter. Things are things are changing for that, and they're they're becoming more inquisitive about. Um, all right, well, I read this the other day, and that that kind of doesn't make sense with you know what you're saying, and um, but it's, and it's it's usually in good parts. Like they're saying, like, all right, well, language is important. Maybe I don't need to get surgery right away. Maybe we could try these exercises. Maybe it's safe for me to to deadlift and squat, which is super important. Um, the other super important thing I feel like when you guys train people, I think also the, the power that you guys have because of your athletic backgrounds is something that we talk about too with PT. I feel like it's a little less with PT because they're not as inclined to be, you know, be active or right. whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> I got a response to that's that. Horrible. Yeah, it's horrible, man. <laughs> in general, I mean, I, I'm making some generalities, but really the truth. <laughs> I would try to have like a free platform on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jason, you mentioned you, you, you're an accomplished powerlifter. I've seen you compete, I think, at least once. Um, and then Joe, you've done um, competitive Muay Thai, and you guys both do jujitsu, which is awesome. I think that's that's one of the drivers, by the way, why I'm, I'm at Henzo's, is because I remember talking to you about starting doing martial arts and you're like you should just go to Henzo's <laughs> tell us about that journey I mean how did you guys start that journey yeah. into uh, martial arts I mean it started as like a little kid just like <laughs> reading comic books and wanting to be a superhero it was like lifting weights and doing martial arts I could look like that guy in the comic books like that's how it all started and sitting next to my dad at like five years old watching Van Damme and Steven Seagal oh, and um, all the movies I really shouldn't have been watching at five years old <laughs> <laughs> and Chuck Norris like all the Delta Forces those were so oh, yeah. bad I, I remember that yeah. and like then I you know I started off with like 
taekwondo like every little kid probably either taekwondo or karate right mm-hmm. you know like early 90s 80s babies and then uh from there i kind of took a little hiatus from it and did the like school sports and that kind of stuff um lacrosse football um then when i was in college i went back to martial arts started doing muay thai um and then like as lee said i had a bunch of fights um and i started jujitsu at 2007 or 8 when i moved back from boston where i started muay thai and went to college i did this all out of order there's no chronological order going on right now it's all good (laughs) um so then i guess it was when i moved from boston back to new york city i like asked around like where's good muay thai and i ended up going over to henzo's because it also had the best uh, jiu-jitsu in the city and um if i'm gonna be there i might as well be doing jiu-jitsu as well um, mm. i kind of wanted to do mma at that point so i was like i gotta know what to do on the ground and i gotta know how to punch and kick so mm. let's just do them both and then i took a little break from jiu-jitsu so i could compete in muay thai because it's really hard to get really good at more oh. than one thing at one time yeah um, it's a little different now because you can go find like purely mma places where they kind of have a curriculum to combine it all but mm. back then it, not even that was that long ago um it was a lot harder to find that um and then i i've been doing jujitsu muay thai pretty much ever since that's very awesome cool. very cool yeah i i got started you know with with the martial arts my grandfather was actually a, a black belt in in karate in um not Ishin, I believe it was Shorinru Karate, and it was like, you know, kind of a full contact karate as I understood it. Um, you know, like, he uh, he told used to tell a story about, like, he got into road rage and kicked the guy in the solar plexus <laughs> and <laughs> knocked the guy out. And, like, he was kind of like... Old um, school. But yeah, but he was like, you know, he was an attorney. Like, it wasn't like... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That think that makes it better yeah. in a suit. <laughs> so, like, you know, my grandfather was, was you know, my, my idol in a lot of ways. And, you know, so, yeah, he was, he was an attorney. He did, you know, government contracts and whatnot. But he was also, like... You know, my grandmother would tell stories of like, yeah, he'd come home with like black eyes and stuff. And this was probably like, (laughs) he was a little bit older in life, I think, when he got into karate. So this was probably like, I don't know, it was probably like the 60s and 70s, I would say. Um, So he used to like teach us, like me and my cousins, like, you know, some some fighting stuff here and there. And like, I'd kind of be into it, Um, you know, me, me especially. Uh, I remember at one point, um, I guess we were like building shelves or something in the garage. And I must have been like maybe like 11 or 12 and I learned how to how to break the board with a karate chop. <laughs> That's great. And that was that was, you know, pretty cool. Um and, and then a lot like Joe, I think I kind of got into formal martial arts from like, you know, video games actually Metal Gear Solid if mm. if you guys know Metal Gear Solid was um tactical espionage action was the, the tagline <laughs> for it um and, and that's what it was it was it was tactical espionage action so solid yeah. snake would would sneak around and um you know infiltrate these like oh, but, um, the old metal gear oh but there was a lot of martial arts in it he'd, he'd yeah. grab people in, in, in a rear naked strangle and he'd, he'd choke them unconscious and he would do like you know hip tosses from judo and stuff mm. and um so i was like in seventh grade or so at this point, I was like, oh, Metal Gear Solid was like f- freaking awesome. <laughs> and um, it was at a friend's like bar mitzvah and someone's brother showed me how to do, someone's older brother showed me how to do 
a, a rear naked strangle, mm. and like my mind was blown. I was like, <laughs> like oh, this is what Solid Snake does. And then you ran, ran a mile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was years later. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm well beyond that. I'm, I'm 13 in the Jewish tradition. I'm a man now. <laughs> um, so I did what you know what, what most people would do in, in 1998 or 1999. I, I went to the Yellow Pages. And, and, <laughs> yellow and I, I looked up jujitsu. And my grandfather, who had had this Japanese martial arts background, was like, "Oh no, you don't, you don't want Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's just like wrestling on the ground." Um, <laughs> and uh, you know how different might my life have been. So it was like, "Oh, I got into Japanese jiu-jitsu," oh, um, and, and it was cool. I, I mean, like learned how to break fall for sure. But um, <laughs> you know, it was definitely it wasn't sport focused. It was very like combat focused. Um, and, you know, that was probably, like, a lot of middle school, like, seventh, eighth grade. And, and, and you know, kind of similar to Joe, uh, most of high school was spent on team sports. Um, mm-hmm. Lacrosse was my main sport. And that's when I got into strength and conditioning, um, kind of realized that how important that could be. Like, I don't think I was naturally a particularly great athlete. Um, you know, my, my freshman, sophomore years of, of high school lacrosse were, were, you know, definitely nothing to write home about, you know, second string, third string kind of stuff. Um mm-hmm. And, and then I started lifting weights and, you know, I wish I knew then what I know now, but like, yeah. you know, was, was still working hard. And, you know, I, mm. I remember deadlifting, I remember squatting, um, and, and it, it definitely made me a better athlete. And that's, that's when I got super into the, um, you know, strength and conditioning or, or probably bodybuilding was, was a lot of what that was back then too. Um, when I played a little bit of division one lacrosse and, uh, wasn't a good fit for me and you know the school and the, and, and the program and whatnot and uh so it must have been like the first semester of my sophomore year of college i had um i'd gotten mono and uh so i was kind of out from from lacrosse and that was when the ultimate fighter was on mm. and i was watching that and it was like you know my mind was blown of like oh like hey like i remember some of this stuff from jujitsu which was in a much more from japanese jujitsu um which was in a much more like street combat context and it's like now i'm seeing it against an actual resisting opponent in a sport context and it was like just wow to me um so yeah so you know came home and and this time found the right jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and um ended up uh, transferring colleges went, went down to atlanta um at, at emory university and was doing a lot of jiu-jitsu in atlanta this was probably like 2006 2007 um, got my blue belt from from Roberto Traven, who was you know just a great coach and a, and a great person who really helped me a lot. And um, graduated college, and I was like, oh man, I got to get a job now. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, I went into the, you know finance, and um, then kind of got back into weightlifting. I was like, all right, well, I don't really have the the schedule to to do jujitsu anymore. Um, and so I started you know diving really head first into lifting again and and that now with more of a powerlifting focus that's when I kind of first started doing powerlifting meets was was when I was still in banking and um you know one thing led to another ended up um becoming a personal trainer kind of you know doing what I love and and, and helping people and, and lifting weights and um you know more and more powerlifting at that point and uh, yeah 3 years ago um you know, I think when Joe kind of went back to jujitsu from from mostly doing Muay Thai, he'd be coming back and being like, he's just like with the biggest smile on his yeah. face. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, I got this sweep or this or that. We worked on it. And it was like, oh man, like I missed that. And I think it was yeah. always in the back of my head of like, oh, you know, I want to be able to do jujitsu again. And um, 
so yeah, th- that's how I ended up at Henzo's. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and here we are. That's awesome. That's a cool story, man. And you both are at Henzo's as well. Right, we are. Us. Thanks to we, you. I mean, this guy pulled uh, me. This guy invited me to a class. <laughs> you should see a class. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this. I asked him. I was like, do, do you get injured? Do you get injured? And he was like. Get dinged. Occasionally, but um, oh man, thank you. you th- I mean, it, it's just pat- you're passing right. it on. It's yeah, pretty man. damn cool. And you guys are now purple belts. That's right. congratulations. Which is awesome. That's not, not a small task. Yeah, uh, we hope to do this uh, jujitsu um, seminar for clinicians soon. Oh, cool. We're gonna ha- hopefully do it at different That's places. Smart. But we want to talk about. If someone is a purple belt, if they have a client or a patient who's a purple belt, that's a large part of their life, meaning sure, that they've yeah, done sure. a lot of work to get there. And one of the big things that we talk about with uh, patients is finding meaningful activities that are important to them. Hmm. So you can always either refer back to it or, and or try to uh, incorporate it into their treatment plan. So something like that, like if, it should be a signal in their brain. Like if the person says to you, I'm a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, but they most likely won't. But if they inquire and they find that out, then that should be kind of a flag for them to be like, all right, I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna keep this in the back of my mind to, to help them out. A purple belt in jiu-jitsu as opposed to my 11-year-old nephew is a black belt in taekwondo. Like, well, right, you know? right, 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 right. You have exactly. people say, oh, a purple belt? Like, oh, okay, cool. Well, like, my niece, she's a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> I get, I, yeah, I've gotten that, you know, while I'm working on a patient, they're like, what belt do you? I'm like, white belt. I was like, oh. <laughs> How long have you been training? And I was like, a year and a half. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay. What's the next belt? And then they do the math. I'm like, just take a class, man. See how, oh, see how man. tough it is. It's how, totally different. Question for you, gentlemen. Um, we talk about it a lot on the class, but how would you uh, – we know the benefits, but for the public, I mean, how instrum- How has jiu-jitsu affected your uh, business life or personal life? And, and what could you speak to on that, I guess? personal life i mean you make long lasting friendships at jujitsu i mean there's just something about like physical contact like that's been lost in our kind of like society as like we've more technology and everybody's kind of like oh don't touch me don't do anything like they live in their own little worlds and like Mm -hmm. you know if you go back like I don't know, a few hundred years, everybody was living, like, together very closely, and there were always people wrestling and fighting or whatnot. And there's just something about physical contact and, like, rolling around on the ground in a non-sexual manner that just brings, like, people together and, like, you know, you just build, like, a bond. There's, like, definitely some kind of, like, biological, psychological bond that happens between people when you experience those things together. Mm, And then you're also going through, like, hardships together. Like, this it's fucking tough. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. And then it's discouraging. And, like, you go through all these ups and downs with somebody. Like, Mm. you know, because you're going to the same class, you generally around the same times. So you get to know a bunch of people. And um, there's just that kind of bond that you, you build with a person. So, like, it improves your lives that way. Um, I've been sober for like 10, 11 years or something like that. And like, I don't do AA or anything, but if it works for people, it's like definitely go do it and keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my wife always says like my martial arts, jujitsu and Muay Thai and everything is like my personal MMA. It's like where I go and I like, everything gets left behind. Yes. You go in, you put on your gi or you put on your shorts and your gloves and you're like wrapping your hands and there's like tying your bell it's almost like ritualistic at some yes. point where like everything gets put away now you're here to do this 
and then that that's where you are that's what you're doing and then when you leave like you're just like other than being really hot and sweaty yeah. like, <laughs> you may have no energy and you're really hungry and right. your face burns from the mat but like you leave and you feel uh, well great right, like, right, right. <laughs> right. you know you might have had a bad time like the best yeah, training yeah. sessions are always the ones when you walk into it and it was the hardest day for you to get there Yes. Like, you wake yes. up and you're like, I feel like shit. Everything hurts. I'm depressed. Yeah. I don't want to go. Nothing good is happening. Like, I'm not getting better. But you go because you just you just know you have to. You just go. Yeah. And then you, you have a great training session. Like, everything's clicking. And, like, yes. then you leave and you're like, wow. What was I thinking this morning that I didn't want to go? And yeah. it just, like, resets everything in your brain. Like, yeah. endorphins and dopamine mm-hmm. and all those cool, like, biological chemical terms but like mm-hmm. it's like there's something spiritual about it too you just yeah. walk out and you're like huh. For sure. yeah it's amazing well said man yeah that was yeah um but yeah i don't know how, how do you feel that the uh jujitsu has affected personally yeah I, I mean i think it's i think the the pursuit of of mastery in, in a domain and i think martial arts is a particularly good domain for it um, I think it's really taught me humility and to be humble. I think the the only way to improve at jujitsu is you, you have to put your ego aside. You're you're just not going to last more than a day um, with your right. ego. And, and I think it's it's not just a hey, I put my ego away once of like oh, I got my ass kicked the first month and now it's like my ego is gone. Um, <laughs> it's mm. just like a constant process because every time you get better. And every time you're, you know, you're maybe beating a training partner that that you were having trouble with a few months ago, there's that that ego pops up again of like, oh, I'm I'm getting good at this. <laughs> um, but that that ego is the, the death of progress. So it's like every single time, I, every time I tie my belt, I have to remind myself to to be humble. And mm-hmm. um, if you don't, somebody else will. Right, like so many people live in a in a bubble where like without having. You know, this is like tough guy stuff. Like people, oh yeah, like you know, anyone stepped to me, I'd, I'd kick their ass. Right, you know, right. like oh, like I'm I'm in good shape. I'm str- whatever. Like, and it's like you just learn how how quickly that's not true. No. Um, <laughs> Very right? to, to even like get a one stripe on your white belt. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah you, you just you have to get your ass kicked over and over and over again. Um, mm. So for someone to be you know a, a blue belt, a purple belt, like that takes a lot of you know being humbled and, and, you know, kind of learning your place. And um, I, I think that process is something that, that's really spilled over into, you know, a lot of other domains, business and personal growth and, and, and relationships of like, you know, I don't always have all the answers. And I think a lot of times in jujitsu, it's, it's easy to, you know, you're watching some videos or you're thinking about something, you're doing some drilling and it's like, oh yeah, I think I got it figured out. And, you know, Um, I I think martial arts has also had a, had a really big impact on our, our fitness philosophy because we've learned one, we've learned how important strength is, which I think we already knew. Um, But I think we've also learned that strength is not the be all end all. Um, you know, I, th- I think at this point, most of us had the experience of, of wrestling a, a bodybuilder. And it's like you learn pretty quickly like that strength is useless. Um, <laughs> that, you know, movement without strength is like, you know, what's what's the point? You have no power. You have no strength. Um, you're not able to, you know. Express it. Ex- right. Conduct, you know, express force and, and, and cause injury um, in, in the term of, of martial, contact, martial context. Um 
But the other side's true too. That that strength without movement is you, you can't express it. What can you do with it if you if only able to move in a single fixed plane? Um, that's not how movement occurs in real life, and you know certainly not in in, in a combat sport scenario. So I, I think it's had a huge impact on our fitness philosophy. That even for people who aren't um, you know ever going to do jujitsu or um, they probably don't even know that jujitsu's had such a big impact on our fitness philosophy. But, um, you know, for, for me, certainly that idea of movement quality is, is really something that I got from the martial arts of like, you know, having come from a, a little bit more of a bodybuilder kind of strength and conditioning mentality. It's like, okay, like, you know, here I am getting my ass kicked by this guy. I could, you know, I could out bench press, you know, three times over. It's like, hmm, there, there's more to this equation here. Yeah. All right. Well said, gentlemen. Thank you. That, um, uh... It, yeah, it's it's. And we it goes did a way whole, beyond the mat. It goes way beyond the mat. But uh, to what Joe mentioned, I mean, you have no option, regardless of what's going on in your life. You know, when you're training, you know, you, you really don't have a moment to think about. The, and if you do, you know, there's consequences to it. You got <laughs> got to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, well said, well said. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, that um, uh, that's one uh, the, uh, the an additional reason why I love training at Catalyst because I'm surrounded by you guys and then all your coaches. Most of them do jujitsu, and it's all kind of like minded. And I, there there is a lot of I know I always bring this back to our industry, but there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> a lot of PTs <laughs> who not only don't move but also don't understand these things. Which they don't have to do jujitsu, but it's just important if they have to learn something that might help their patient and sometimes they're like kind of blocking it out well maybe they just have to kind of step aside and one of the things that has helped me a great deal in jiu-jitsu is like you know i've been doing martial arts all my life but going in there i was it was i was nobody you know i was Mm. and i learned that real quick and (laughs) that was that was uh that was good for me because Uh i wanted to get back into martial arts but i wanted to get back into something that was applicable and also, that was going to be long term. I see this as a long term thing for me, um, and I think for most of us. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, that's super cool. I do have I have a quick question. You guys, um, Catalyst has the clinical aspect to it, has the strength conditioning aspect to it. What do you guys see as the future for Catalyst? Do you guys see expanding the the clinical aspect, of it, expanding the strength conditioning, or kind of doing a combination? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, I think we definitely want to expand our philosophy. I think um, we hope that this will not be the last catalyst, the one we have at, at 1410 Broadway now. Um, mm. We definitely want to spread the gospel of, of, of what we're doing. I think that outside of you know New York City um, and you know even outside of Catalyst, I think there's just so many people that are kind of still in the dark as far as you know what constitutes good training, what constitutes you know meaningful progress in fitness um and on the rehab side as well so i think there's you know um from a fitness perspective like yeah it's a little bit more obviously scalable um you know just from a business perspective of like you know we kind of already have approached some of the measures of scale here you know for example you know there's sessions going on at catalyst and and you know here joe and i are sitting on this podcast so it it exists without us necessarily having to be there. And I think that's to me, the the first prerequisite for scale is that the owner doesn't need to be involved in, in every single session and every single aspect of it. Um, 
So, yeah, so I think, you know, expanding and scaling that fitness product, you know, whether that means additional catalyst locations that are that are owned by us, whether that means um, franchisees, um, you know, if, if you're out there and you're interested in franchising, give us a shout. But no, whether that means, you know, additional you know catalyst locations, whether that means um, franchisees, whether that's, you know, Joe and I uh, acquiring other gyms that are similar but don't quite have it all figured out yet and and then you know kind of showing them how we use our system um and 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 you know using that as a strategy to expand our vision and expand our philosophy um and i think that helps us as a business i think where a lot of other gyms that do similar things uh everything is systematized where we can just plop it somewhere else right um as opposed to just everything's kind of run and it goes and we don't really know how, but it gets there and then the bills are paid and that's it. Um, yeah. And, and that comes back to the repeatable product that we were talking about earlier of like we use that FMS as a standard operating procedure. We have a proprietary you know, assessment that we know exactly what it's going to look like and that allows us to – deliver excellence to everyone that comes through our door as opposed to like, oh, I'm just going to wing it. Uh, it's like, you know, sometimes you're going to knock it out of the park. And like, if you're winging it, sometimes you're not. Um, so yeah, I think as we expand that brand, I think the the clinical influence in, in what we've done with Catalyst, I think is, is, is really central to, to our philosophy that even, you know, like we were saying that we, we never solve medical problems with fitness, but at the same time, what we've learned from, from our own clinic, what we've learned from, you know, from guys like you and, and, you know, working alongside you, um, you know, some of the conversations we've had with patients, some of the conversations we've had, um, you know, taking seminars together, like, you know, Lee and I took, uh, the FRC seminar together and had like a three hour car ride home and, mm-hmm. you know, to hear what was important to him as a clinician versus what was important to me as a trainer. Um, and, you know, taking those different perspectives um, from the the clinical side and being able to apply them on, on a fitness context, I think is is really central to the brand. So I think as we expand, you know, we'll, we'll continue to keep that. I think, um, you know, just to kind of close that off, I'll close it with a thought that that I think Greg Cook has said, which is that like, if you are like a super high level athlete. You know, what do you need for strength? Well, what do you need? You need, you know, strong core. You need to be able to, you know, have strong glutes, powerful hips. You need to be able to rotate well. Well, if you're, you know, uh, an executive who's trying to get out of back pain, well, what do you need? Yeah, you need a strong core. You need, you know, strength in your hips. You need good posture. You need to rotate well. So I think that, you know, strength and conditioning and, and, and rehab, I think in a lot of cases, the needs differ not necessarily by type, but but by degree. It's like, well, how much of this do we need versus, you know, not necessarily needing different things. And, um, yeah, so so that's definitely, you know, that kind of fitness equals rehab mentality that, that they exist on a spectrum, I think is definitely something we subscribe to. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, the reason, the main reason I ask is we talk about a lot on the podcast with um, the future of physical therapy, and the same themes keep, they keep coming down the pipeline. So, Strength training, education, but mm-hmm. quality of those two, right? So you guys talk about language. You talk about appropriate programming, systematizing. So uh, I haven't seen, at least in my experience, in fitness um, in New York, the same setup that you guys have. And if, if, if literally, you know, this would be the ideal situation, I, I could see physical therapy, or you don't even have to call it that. We've had people on the podcast who actually want to get rid of that name um, because yeah. they think it's too muddled with uh, – 
bad information that you know bad associations um which i i kind of agree but i also think that delineation has to happen still like clinicians and coaches sure. right so if you take that the model that you guys have and you literally you know p- put it across you know nationwide let's, let's say that um but that that would be the future of what is seems to be working long term for everybody the research uh, anecdotally, um, everybody. So, like, this is something that I think that most patients would benefit from from across the the lifespan. You, you know, obviously, we haven't seen too much uh, like adolescents, but like at least adults into late adulthood, this would be beneficial. Yeah, and I, again, just looking at your guys' model, being in the model myself, you know, it, it's scalable. Whether you said, you know, whether it's an elite athlete, it's an executive, or it's uh, someone that's 18 that you know law it's scalable you know you could go up or down but i I agree with lee i mean that kind of what we need the system um is flooded with a lot of train you know trainertainment (laughs) trainertainment or just people kicking you know kicking ass for x amount of time but there's certain at a certain time that's not going to work you know they're going to hit a certain plateau um but that would be great. I'm sure that would be great for you guys if you want a nationwide Absolutely. franchise. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on, you know, from the fitness side, I think the, the you know, road to scale is is fairly obvious. It's right, like right, you, right. Just, you just do more of it. you got to teach people how to do the assessment. you got to teach people how to do the coaching. Um, but the, the mechanics are, are, you know, fairly straightforward. They get an assessment. They get a program. You know, they self-register for the session. They show up. The coaches guide them through it, et cetera. Um, from a, a clinical perspective, I think I think the physical therapy industry it feels like it's still kind of figuring that out of how to scale. I think that a couple things going on. One is that insurance and bureaucracy typically don't. From what I've seen, most insurance based providers have trouble providing the the level and depth of care that I think that patients deserve and want. Um, you know, on a whether it be cash pay or whether it just be you know being able to spend more time with the patient. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm curious how. So and the flip side of that is that I don't think that physical therapists have necessarily had the incentive to invest in education because it's like, hey, I, I can just work at this insurance mill. I can see eight right. patients in an hour. Um, Whereas to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in education and I'm gonna move outside the insurance model, I think is really tough because most people still, you know, sitting here in 2019, most people still have absolutely no concept of paying out of pocket for something which they carry insurance for. Exactly. And um, so I'm curious how you guys see that that scaling. If if you guys have mm-hmm. thought about that at all, of like how do we take you know. Lee and Eric and, you know, all the other clinicians in our network that, that do such a fantastic job. And how do you make that the norm rather than having, you know, insurance mail of like, oh, you come in with knee pain. Like, we just need to strengthen your VMO. Like, you know, grab a TheraBand. Um, <laughs> you know, how's the, industry, how's the industry move from that um, into something? I don't know if you guys have thought about that at all. We, oh, yeah. We, thought, we think about it every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, the market, at least here in New York, you know, has split into like three. It's very repetitive, but three different markets, right, where you have a mill. You have these large institutions that kind of do the right thing, and I'm going to use, let's say, hospitals as an example, mm-hmm. where they have hospital-based uh, practices where they do have a little extra time with patients, and they do 
say, in-network. And then you have the boutique, small, out-of-network cash base. And those are growing um, at a high rate. And here in New York, it's a unique market in that people do have the cash for it. Mm -hmm. There's still a pushback. But um, we are a bit spoiled in this market. And from fitness and from a rehab perspective, people do spend. There's a lot of spendable income. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really point of entry. Uh, If a patient goes to one of these mills, that first impression is, well, I went to physical therapy. I paid 30, 40 bucks, put a stem ultrasound. I got I got two therabands out of it. <laughs> I know how to do a clamshell kind of because the therapist was helping me on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that it's point of entry. So if that person, it's totally not much of a value. It's about thirty dollars worth right. of service. Uh, whereas that other person said, "Hey, you got to see Lee. You know, um, he's a little he's a little more expensive than your insurance policy, but I got to spend an hour with him. Actually, I only saw him three or four times." And I'm in a so it's a value thing. I don't. It's going to be very hard to move the needle because at the mill and large institution, you know, there's there's a lot of money at play, and and there, you know, I I think we mentioned this before that a lot of practices are kind of cozying up to the insurance companies. Say, hey, so how how do we make this work? Right. If you remove the insurance company, they're out of business, which is insane. Right. Um, How is that needle moving? think education and and moments like this where people are listening oh wow that sounds kind of in-depth these therapists are talking about jujitsu and they're talking about power so i think it's really on us really i mean as clinicians to really spread the word and and gently nudge our patients to show them the way what where the value is um but it's kind of bleak uh sadly to say in you know uh 2019 right now um it it takes somebody with a little high risk, uh, like you just said. It's hard for someone to just jump out on their own. But it's do it. Hard. It's very hard. But but get it done. I mean, it's it's not an easy route. But people do. When you put your patients first, people people sense that. And if you do right by them, but getting these new grads, I think, is the key. Yeah, I think- I, and not to paint like a dire picture, but like um, there's there's so many barriers right now to the the model that we think and what's being shown to work and help, right? So the the more contact with the patient, uh, more education, more skilled movement training. Um, so you got the insurance part of it, which definitely limits care as a whole just because of their model is promoting the in-network part of it. And the in-network part of it is going to always limit visits or sorry, limit visits and limits time with the uh uh, clinician and what's the provider? My God, um, <laughs> but they it, because of how much they pay out per session, um, and then the other part of it is even uh, institution wide at our schooling. Our schooling does not promote this stuff. You go to any uh, PT program in the United States, with the exception of maybe two or three, and this is no exaggeration, there is no strength training uh, education. And that's a huge problem. And there's no strength training definitely on our boards. So that the the curriculum for each DPD program, obviously, they, they want to m- allow people to pass their state boards. So that's what's part of their curriculum. And so there's been some pushes from, from good, uh, well-intentioned individuals in our community that are trying to implement strength training electives at least in programs, at least in New York City, maybe out in California, and have – hit some barriers but that so you got two fronts there you got the insurance you got our own schools 
And then you do have practices that are owned by um, clinicians who are just trying to survive. Right. And they want just to have a business. And so then they'll go in network and they'll do the eight patients an hour and ultrasound and e-stem. And they'll do that for years and years and years. And then, uh, but I, th I agree with you. I think the first point of contact is the new grads. So if we can get more new grads exposed to this in a sense that like, it doesn't have, you don't have to go into these places. You can, with a good supportive network, go out on your own and or start working in places that have already started to develop. You know, right. we've known a couple of people who started to um, develop places. So I think that's the first thing because right now, the insurance and our own institutions are not going to catch up for, for many years. Um, and that's just the, the reality of things. Um, but uh, if the insurance companies all of a sudden turned around and be like, we'll give you a good rate for in-network therapy, that would change everything. Right. You know, and that would, that would allow, but that would also cause some other issues, right? So right. That would, it would, it, something else has to change, and we're not economically sound, at least I'm not, um, to talk about what, what that would be. But if, in terms of a clinical standpoint, I think there needs to be more exposure to people just getting out of school. Yeah, it, it's funny too in the in the healthcare world of like people are just completely divorced from the cost of something and like even just to take physical therapy out of it like you go to the dermatologist it's like you don't even know how much that costs until like six weeks later you get a bill mm -hmm. if you're like oh how much is it going to cost to to, to they're like, well, I don't know it's in network but like. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that like until people start real and I think. So kind of to bring it back to physical therapy, mm -hmm. like people go to physical therapy, you know, two, three times a week. They're paying a $30, $40 copay. How much is the insurance paying out, you know, on a weekly basis? You know, obviously they're, they're keeping costs down and whatever and, you know, maybe not as much as the physical therapist would like to see them pay. But, like, those costs are just adding up, adding up. The patient doesn't necessarily even know how much the physical therapist is getting paid behind the scenes. And, and meanwhile – you know, if you got three, four sessions with someone who was really willing to, you know, spend the time, y you might even get a better outcome in fewer dollars. And it, yes. it feels like this penny wise pound foolish thing. But it's like, how do you break that cycle? And, um, you know, the, kind of the other thing I heard there um, to relate back to personal training is the role of licensure seems like it's oh. it's just completely stagnated the the craft and the practice of physical therapy that it's like. You know, to kind of go back to the example of like, oh, like there's knee pain, you strengthen the VMO. And like that's what's <laughs> on the boards. Mm. And, um, you know, now there's a lot of, you know, kind of nanny state or whatnot, people that want to see licensure mm. come to personal training and, and say that I have to, you know, ask permission from the government basically to, to conduct fitness services. Mm. And some people see that as a antidote to – to trainertainment or to just you know we've we've all met bum personal right, trainers. Right. But they don't last though. They can't. They That's can't. That's not true at all. Oh, I know that. Some of them last a long time. They're still there. Good salesmen, right, 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 and then right, they right, just right, keep right, selling right, more and more people. You're right. You're, um, you're right. To be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like to be entertained. Right. No. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but I mean, I think the concern with licensure is like, what's it going to look like? Are you going to have like? personal training like my personal training certification i took i took nesta and um I, I try never to speak ill of anybody on a podcast but like nesta i will speak it was ridiculous it was is like, like ace i don't even know what nesta is nesta it was like a one-day course um I, I would say ace is outdated i would say that nesta is like 
it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, <laughs> does that um, even exist anymore? Probably. <laughs> oh but that's God. the thing, right? It's like, oh, someone goes out there and they're like, hey, I'm going to conduct a, a certification. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they go to whatever bodies oversee certifications and they get accreditation. Um, and it's like, all right, fine. that That's what it is. But I think, um, I think, yeah, I think if you brought licensure to personal training, one, you'd, you'd price a lot of potential trainers out of the market that yeah. they wouldn't be able to afford and get the schooling. And I think in a, in a situation where you already have an obesity epidemic where it's, it's hard enough for people to get fitness services um, to, to, you know, make it even harder for people to offer fitness services, you know, from a supply and demand perspective is, is, is nonsense to me. Um, and I think licensure also has a, a tendency to stagnate in industry. Um, you know, look at Joe and I. Joe went to school for mechanical engineering. I went to school for economics. Um, we've, I think one of the reasons why we've been able to be successful and innovative is because we've had a little bit of an outsider's perspective that we've been able to come in and say, hey, you know what, like, what I see that guy doing over there, that doesn't make sense. That's not consistent with my experience Um you know, in, in my own workouts and my own strength and conditioning. And my, this isn't consistent with, with how I see the world. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not no, a professional good. licensure, but um, it, it's just an interesting commentary on, on, on how that's affected physical therapy. And um, super scary to see people want to want to bring licensure to personal training. But on training. the other side of the same kind of coin, yeah. it's so easy to get a personal training right. certification. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know. I, I have NASM or I had NASM. Right. I don't know how many years ago. There's no personal training certified person on this side of the desk. Our certs are lapsed. I mean, we have like same here. we have a lot of continuing yet. Our expertise is well established. Right. <laughs> right, right. But on the other side of the same kind of coin, is so easy to get a personal training certification that you could really hurt somebody. Sure. Like right. the I have NASM or had NASM again. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it's probably one of the ones that's most known out there. Yes. They're like a lay person. They have the most like marketing or whatever. You'll see mm. them. I just had a study or pay a huge fee. It was like way too much money. And go to a testing place and sit in front of a computer and take a test that was like so arbitrary. Like it, I guess it showed that I had some knowledge, but it didn't show that I could demonstrate anything. It didn't mm. show that I could actually coach anything. It didn't. like demonstrate that i could see this person doing something wrong Mm. it was like it was it was terrible it was a waste of time and it was like this is supposed to be like the high standard i guess there's one other certification the nsca where you actually have to have like a associates or a bachelor's degree in something and you send that in to be able to even take the test like Mm. but even that i don't know even know if you have there's no practical like how is there no practical in a movement-based practical job that's huge doesn't doesn't make any sense the fitness industry is wild like that uh like joe was saying that there's plenty of low quality trainers that that do do well in the industry and um i remember one day i was working at new york sports clubs and um there was a guy who who was a you know pretty successful by at least by dollar standards um personal trainer there and he was like the like epitome of adult babysitter trainer came in (laughs) like you know um, it, it was just like 
Oh, you'll never see the same exercise twice and like these exercises like they don't even make sense um, <laughs> like it's like what, like how do you think that's a good idea but anyway um so i'm sitting there foam rolling and so he was um you know not a bad looking guy he kind of like he looked the part a little bit and um he was like he just had like a kind of like nice way about him like he, he worked with a lot of you know like kind of like weight loss, not like extreme weight loss, but like, you know, people are just a little bit overweight and, you know, we're kind of new to the gym. That was kind of his sweet spot, uh, especially females. And um, so I'm sitting there foam rolling and, and this girl comes up to him and, 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 you know, she fits that profile of, you know, a little bit overweight, looking to get into working out. And um, she starts asking him questions and he just gives like the most like elegant, like seemingly thoughtful, like just like really well-spoken um, answers and like she's eating it up. And I'm sitting there like, you know, not eavesdropping on purpose, but I guess eavesdropping. Um, mm. And I'm like, none of what he just said is true. <laughs> There's like all of that was, that was just a big pile of bullshit. And I think that's what makes the fitness industry so challenging Um and I'm sure he sold that client. Well, Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. No Still with them now. Right. <laughs> 50 sessions. And it's like, you know, it makes it tough. It makes it tough from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, that we've definitely found challenging over the years is like, how do you communicate the difference in, in what we do versus what someone like that does to the layperson? And it's not so easy. Not easy. And no. fitness is so crowded. Like, you know, in, in web marketing, they talk about like the kind of like, three most predominant things are like like sex, fitness and like skincare or something, something like that. it's it's very attractive. It's mm. easy to get into mm. and just start talking about fitness. Everybody wants to look better. It's, you know, um, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, functional training and strength and conditioning, but like every single one of us first started working out to look better. And yeah. um it's just so easy to to play on people's uh, emotional desire and not not play on in a you know, malicious way, but just from people who are good at marketing and maybe not as good at training, it's just, it's, it's easy. And the other part of that is too, is that like almost any fitness is better than no fitness, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's like, all right, we're sitting here and like, you know, obviously I think our way is the best because if I didn't, I would go out and learn what I thought the best way was and start doing it that way. But, um, you know, people say, oh, like, is, is this bad? Is that bad? Is, is you know, most of the time the answer is nothing's really bad. It's what's worst of all is sitting on the couch. Um, so, like, that's the challenge of it is, like, you'll have someone who's providing a less than optimal, let's say, a less than optimal product. It's still better than no product. And it's like, well, how do you get someone to, you know, believe that, hey, you've been getting results doing – I'm not even going to call anything out. I'm just, you're, you've been getting results doing, you know, whatever X, Y, Z training, but actually I have a better way. It's like, well, why would I stop doing what, what's already working for me? So it's, um, mm-hmm. it, it's a thorny, a thorny industry in that we way. We need more Instagram butt shots. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And social media has definitely created a whole other level of this because you have the attractiveness of the person maybe doing an exercise that won't be great for anybody right? Uh, or what wouldn't be optimal. And then they have millions of followers. Um, but, but if you put the phone on the floor at this right angle, yeah. I mean, it looks great for everybody. Right. It's crazy. You go to a gym now and it's like, you see people and it's like, Set up the camera. Yeah, they spend all yeah, this oh, time. Yeah, yeah. Tripods. Right? <laughs> Tri- this Ooh. and that. They do like a set and then they look at it and I'm like, 
Are you are you working out? Are, are you working out or like did you do your workout earlier? And like you look great. Um, <laughs> did, did you do your workout like earlier today? And then you came back to film this stuff or like what, what That's is how you run a business? I guess so. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, maybe you guys have seen. I guess it's like a meme, but it's um. It's like a picture of the beach, and there's like one after the other of like girls with their boyfriends taking pictures of them, and they're like, you know, they're midair, like jumping or like showing their butts or whatever. And it's like, there's literally like eight of them in a row of just like Instagram boyfriends having to photograph their girlfriends and face planting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you go to the gym now, and it's, um, you know, and then they set up like these freaking circuits where it's like, I'm going to jump on this thing and then I'm going to go swing that. I'm going to go throw <laughs> this and then I'm going to go jump on that. I'm going to flip the tire. And it's like, <laughs> can I get like three by three square feet to swing this kettlebell without having you just run by me flipping tires, please? Like, can I just have this area? But, you just ooh. go stand in front of their camera with your hairy ankle. Like, right <laughs> the side. They got to do it all over again. It's hairy ankle. I, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, ooh, it's a family podcast, Joe. That's uh, uh, <laughs> no, explicit. Whatever, you oh say what you want. That's uh, great, man. <laughs> I know you see a lot of people at the gym with phones following um, video training, too. Right. right? That's another yeah. funny thing. They're watching the video, moving around, doing kicks, and thousands of clamshells. <laughs> we talked about, or I, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but I, I was interviewed briefly from Yahoo Fitness about like the trends of fitness and the app industry is like insane right now with uh, Class Pass to Go and all these other things. But I don't know if you guys have heard of the Class Pass to Go one. Not to go, but I've heard of Class yeah. Pass. Yeah, it's so the they, they yeah. developed uh, this app you basically can go on and put your earphones in and you can choose like run, strength training, bike, whatever. And then let's say run is the easiest and then they'll just guide you through a run while you go for a run. Um, and then Strength Training 2, they'll have videos. Uh, you've, you've heard of the mirror or seen the mirror one? Yeah. That's yeah. Kind of crazy. It's very similar to that where they'll have like a video and you just follow along. But it's it's, it's like that stuff's not bad, but it can't be the only thing you're doing. Right. Because yeah. like you can learn and you can get some good workouts, but like are you actually doing it right? right. Or right. how does There's your no knee feedback. feel after you have did this? Or like how's yeah. your back? But like, and is that thing the right thing for you to be doing for what you want to achieve? Like, the app's not necessarily giving you feedback. It's not doing the FMS for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you're not going to do anything and you're going to sit at home on your couch eating potato chips, like get the app and go do something. Yes. Fine, go do it. Yeah. I've always said, though, we'll, we'll never be out of a job in terms of you know, the, the personal connection. Going back to what you were saying about jujitsu and personal contact um, with teaching and learning and coaching people, you know, that. They could use an app, and that'll take them thus far, but nothing's going to beat another set of eyes, another person, another brain. Um, And again, I think it's entry point. If, uh, you know, a younger millennial, you know, 22-year-old starts with an app, says, well, this is my workout. I do this app three days a week. They don't really know that they could be at a different place. But again, not to knock the apps because, you know, to your guys' point, Mm. they're sitting on the couch, the app is better. Uh, Do you guys know who John Oliver is? Yes. So uh, we're watching him uh, not this last Sunday, but the Sunday before, and he had a funny little piece about automation. Everyone's fearing their job's going to get automated, right? AI, all this stuff. And so he made a joke. He brought in a bunch of kids, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? And he was, everything that they said, he's like, that's going to get automated. That's going <laughs> to And then he, he goes, he said this line. He says, if 
you can do a series of non-routine tasks that require social intelligence, complex critical thinking, and creative problem solving, your job will not get automated. <laughs> and I was like, he just described, like, I mean, I can't, we come from the PT perspective of doing PT, but it's the same thing for strength training. You have to assess the person, kind of create something uh, for them, and also use social intelligence and all these other things. But I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, we're not it's getting automated. It's pretty much any, like, sales service job. Sales service, yeah. yeah. Whenever they have a list of like, here's the jobs that aren't going to get automated. Physical therapy, personal training is always, always it's always on the short list. uh, (laughs) You know, I'm sure they said the same thing about toll booth collectors. (laughs) 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 And then that easy pass came. Uh, No, but it's uh, it's it is a thorny uh, place. I mean, it could go a lot of ways. But in the last ten or fifteen years, I mean, it's. um, just exploded and um yeah. i've definitely found a bunch of people have come to us and like they've they've started out with like an app or a class pass thing and mm. they that's how they kind of got into right. fitness or even the other like your huge fitness thing that's out there they start off doing it that way and then they realize like this isn't really working for me or like it's just not enough or uh, I got hurt, and then that's when they end up coming and finding us, and then they're like, oh, I wish I knew about this five years ago before I wasted all that time and energy. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's still good in the sense that, like, it gets people into into the industry, into mm-hmm. doing fitness. And then, like Jason was saying earlier, people are more educated at, lately because of the, you know, it's just so much easier to find information. and. Right get educated um, with the internet and all that special stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they, they get into it whatever with, by that special simple means of an app or whatever is highly marketed at that time. And at least it's getting people into the world of fitness and moving. Mm-hmm. And then, then they find us later on. Right. you got to like, meet them halfway yeah. a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge. It, it, it is, right? Because it's yeah. like, oh, like, here's here's catalyst like it requires like mindfulness and like hard work and like you have to think and like you we want you to collaborate with us and it's like or like you could just jump up and down and run in a circle (laughs) it's like oh you know um i get why that's attractive and um (laughs) it's like um you know, we, we talk about this sometimes with, like, you know, with celebrity trainers or with, you know, from a marketing context of, like, you know, you can't you can't lead with, like, hey, here's this thing. It requires hard work and, and mindfulness and, like, you know, we've had ownership, some ownership, ownership. right? If like, you fail, it's probably your fault. Personal responsibility. Um, you know, we've had, like, we've had one or two people in the last year who have, like, come to catalyst and they're like super hot to try and they're like oh yeah i want to work out and they've never worked out before and they're like oh i want to start doing like three times a week and then like they get into like the first couple weeks and it's like oh wow like this is really hard like i don't really know if i want to work out three times a week and it's kind of repetitive like oh adaptation you want to adapt right so you got to keep doing the same things but, but yeah, right. Like you know, that trainertainment of like, oh, like we're gonna jump on the box, flip the tire, do that. Like just turn, <laughs> turn your brain off. We're gonna put the loudest techno music on that, that the speaker will go, and we're just gonna run up and jumping down. And like you know, when you get to the tire, I'm gonna I'm gonna use your phone so you can put it on Instagram. <laughs> you know, and like I've seen all. We're, of we're gonna, right. We're gonna use like multiple, like you know, shiny. It's like people people crave that. It's easy and it's it's it's. 
in some ways probably more fun for a single workout. Like we were talking about the deck of death. Like mm. that was super fun. But like if you just do a deck of death, like every time you work out, like you need structure to make progress. You need consistency. You need some some you know progressive. Um, you know, progressive adaptation and overload, and, and that requires consistency and structure. And I think, um, in, in some ways, that's that's the hard road. Um, but it's also, I think, there's there's just so much more benefit to be found on that that road. Yes, yeah. and the scientifically proven. Scientifically proven. <laughs> Huge. It's science. 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 Well, we love it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up, but I wanted to ask you guys any closing thoughts, any closing. Um, things that you wanted to say. We're, I think what we'll do is we'll include on the episode, uh, if you're okay with it, definitely the website at Catalyst. Yep. Um, and your emails, or is there a general email? or? No, they, they, you yeah. know what? I, I say this on a lot of podcasts I'm on. I say this in every blog I write in my mm. email. I'm Jason at CatalystSportNYC.com. Mm. Um, if you send me an email, I will respond to it. So, nice. um, I'm Joe at CatalystSportNYC.com. Sweet. The website is just CatalystSport.com, by the way. Super there easy. it is. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Um, but, yeah, any closing thoughts? This has been awesome. Jason has lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to thank you guys. I think, um, you know, my closing thoughts are we've talked a lot about, you know, education and the importance of education, both um, for professionals to become more educated as well as, um, you know, for the general public to you know, understand what goes into to good physical therapy and good training. And uh, I think it's, you know, you guys are truly two of the best. I mean, we, we work with physical therapists, you know, throughout the city and, and we really look to you guys as, you know, thought leaders and, and just truly the best of the best as far as providing care to your patients, that the patients that I've worked on together with you guys are, are, you know, they've just seen such great results. So I think it's really cool that you guys are doing thank this. You, and thank you. Um, Appreciate you know, that. Hopefully you'll you win some converts. Hopefully someone out there is is listening to this and you know will will challenge themselves to say, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to invest a little bit more in education because um, you know our, our clients and our patients des- deserve the best from us, and and that requires us to be our best selves. So, um, you know, if, you. if you're out there, you know, try to get one percent better this week and and do it again next week. Kaizen. Cool. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening. Signing All off. right. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 